theater podcast for theater people made by three theater nerds from the LA theater scene. However, there's only just one today. I am CJ Merriman. We don't have Bailey or Scott with us today. Uh, Normally, we would discuss and debate the evolution of a specific playwright, but today we have another very special edition of Theater Theater Artist Spotlight, a bonus series highlighting the artists that y'all should be keeping an eye out for. Uh, Today, we're talking over video chat with our guest, He is an actor, director, writer, rapper, and activist. Please welcome Travis Snyder Eaton, everyone. Hey, Trav, how are you? I'm good. How are you, CJ? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. I'm hanging in there. Now, listen, we're connoisseurs of context on this podcast. So first of all, we want to get to know you a bit. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, Trav. I am from sunny California, uh, just uh, about an hour outside LA to the east called Rancho Cucamonga. The IE, right? Is that, am am I allowed to call it to the the IE? Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Probably, probably most famously known for such shows as like Workaholics, uh, movies like Next Friday, and (laughs) next to where I was born was the Kaiser Steel Mill, where Arnold Schwarzenegger jumped into that lava pit at the end of Terminator. (laughs) Very important place in this country. Thank you very much. Oh, uh, definitely. Where did you go to school? I went to uh, high school at Rancho Cucamonga High School and college at the University of Laverne. Oh, yes. Uh, where Where is Laverne? Is that in, um, it's in Laverne, Aie. right? Yeah, Aie? it's like, it's like on the edge of Los Angeles County, San Bernardino, San Bernardino County, like right above Pomona. Okay, right on, right on. And Trav, how how did you come to theater? When did you come to theater in your life? Uh, I came to the- my brother was a big musical theater guy. Um, so when I was a kid, I used to have to go see his shows, like uh, Phantom of the Opera, stuff like that. He was like the star Whoa. singer. Yeah, he was the complete opposite style of like theater person as I actually am, <laughs> which is funny. Um, like my brother's a half brother so we had mm-hmm. separate moms and my dad was in jail our dad was in jail so we grew up separate mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i would go to shows like at riverside in riverside or he'd do like independent shows in different like spots oh wow um yeah uh i think what was it that i, I think bye bye birdies the one i remember earliest seeing and i remember being like a little kid with a game boy playing it in the front row because that's where it had the best light uh, <laughs> that's right there was no game on the orig game boys yeah no light on so, so my original uh my first theater memory is fucking up a bunch of uh theater artists <laughs> in the middle of their performance by playing pokemon blue no trap <laughs> oh no trap do you happen to remember what pokemon you caught during bye bye birdie I, I do not. It probably was like a Pikachu or like an Ekans. I caught a lot of Pikachus. That's my favorite Pokemon. So. Well, I mean, yeah. Trav, 
let's let's reminisce a little bit. How do we know each other? We've known each other at least like what nine or ten years? No, that long? Eight oh. years? Eight years. I because uh, I met you on my first production in LA, which was Watson, uh, the revival of Watson. I was doing sound design, uh, not the sound. Uh, I was just running sound. So that's when I first met you, and then we did Magic Bullet like mm -hmm. the next year is like when we like officially met. I feel right, you know? right. I mean, my favorite first memory of you is, and I feel like it's kind of when we locked in on our friendship was when we were doing the late night show at Serial Killers uh, at Sacred Fools. Everyone, uh, we were written into that piece. Uh, Nobody play with Travis, and we were playing little kids and. Aaron Holt was screaming at me not to be friends with you. And that's actually when we became friends. Right. <laughs> and I, I got to say, ever since then, too, ever since we've kind of locked into our friendship, I feel like artistically and also just relationship-wise, you have always been a ride or die for me. We have worked on so many projects together. And I've been lucky to get to work with you and try a bunch of different stuff. Like my, I had my first hand at producing working with you. I had one of my first uh, directing gigs working with you. Um, I, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure, uh, what, what, where would you like to start? Uh, well, I don't know. Let's, <laughs> we could talk about the, um, the foxholes of producing serial killers together. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I, I loved, uh, I loved the show. It's just, uh, it was, it, it ended up being a lot for me. And I mm -hmm. know for you too. Right. Um, and it also like, it didn't, it didn't feel like nutritious to me after a while. Right. Um, I love the show and I think everybody should submit. It's a good uh, incubator for work. Right just for a little context everybody i know we've brought up serial killers before on the main podcast um on our regular mini mini series but um serial killers is our late night series it's five shows enter three shows leave as voted on by the audience but it's a very cool um vehicle to for new playwrights to stretch their wings for new directors to stretch their wings and actors too um and i feel like trav you have always been a big advocate for um encouraging new people to try new things to test their stuff out to get their scripts out there yeah um i mean that's what it is one of the most important things i probably learned in college beyond all the acting training all the directing training all the theory stuff like that the most important thing i think i probably took away is the importance of initiative mm. um and uh, i think serial killers provides opportunity and it just it just requires like people to take that initiative to go the step beyond i think of mm -hmm. what what you what usually comes up there or what usually we see around just la theater in general um what i like about killers too is it's kind of loosey-goosey do whatever you want and moving on to um the activist stuff that i brought up there in the beginning i mean this is such a crazy time for this interview to be happening because we are recording this on the 6th of january in 2021 my friends and the capitol building has been stormed uh, how have you been feeling i know i know you kind of took a little break in the middle of the day from the news and everything but how have <laughs> you been processing all of that madness going on in dc 
Um, well, I uh, I did not take a break in the middle of the day. I actually oh. <laughs> went for a hike. Took a break like, from news in the middle of the day. Yeah, well, kind of. At like 10.30, I just didn't have internet, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> until for like two hours. And then uh-huh. I like got back to my car, and I had got that text from you when we were talking about this interview. So I like looked at my phone, and then just CNN doing what CNN does best, just giving you a heart attack. And <laughs> I, and it was just kind of like, as soon as I looked at my phone, it's that, it's that gif of Donald Glover walking in with his pizza on community, and there's just the fire and mm-hmm. every, all the chaos going on. That's just what I felt like. Honestly, I'm, I'm surprised it didn't go worse. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not surprised, like, the cops didn't do anything, really, or I'm, I'm more surprised, like, the damage didn't go worse yes agreed on that agreed on that and, and it's almost keep in ahead. mind somebody died when i'm saying this right. so it's not it's not i don't want to minimize the damage that's happened right but i expected more and i'm still kind of nervous for the next 16 to four, 16 days to four years but oh my god yeah you're so um, right. And in su- in in a weird way, all of this stuff is just really, it's really bad theater. It's a bunch of people wanting to make this big statement and it's just ugly and it's uh, poorly organized and poorly put together and ultimately just hateful and violent. All politics is just theater. Like all the actors are these politicians. Like it's like it, Arthur Miller has an entire book just on the pol- the art of politics basically and uh like if you really like look at uh how 2016 kind of went out you kind of have like trump who was like this like improviser coming in and we all know how improvisers are with a live crowd you know we're like what the fuck are they doing we don't like like uh, they're just making stuff up they're going too long you know stuff like that what are they saying read but the like, room exactly but the crowd but like if you have a crowd that wants to be there for you they're gonna like fall head over heels even if you're not saying funny stuff they're gonna be laughing their ass off you know if you're like a, a guest celebrity doing ucb you're gonna have that whole room roaring just because you're a guest celebrity you know mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what trump is then you get like a bernie sanders who's like that like joe shaken like gritty dirty like political theater person where like an audience is going to go in and they're going to be like "Ooh, that's cool but it's not going to be like the groundbreaking you know stuff that's needed well and And then you have like hillary who was kind of like uh the like the actress who knows she's good you know the the day she's laura lenny yeah she's she's (laughs) well trained she was also she was also the diva actress queen of technique yes yeah she kind of like she knew what she was doing you know she knew politics she she was crisp on all her stuff. You know? <laughs> she was and, the first one off book right. in what, every rehearsal what, situation. Right. And for me personally, uh, my least favorite of any Shakespeare movie I see is whenever mm-hmm. somebody goes, "You got to check out this Lawrence Olivier film," because <laughs> because there's no connection. I don't feel connected to Lawrence Olivier, and I mm-hmm. feel that's kind of like. Clinton is, was kind of like the Lawrence Olivier of 2016, you know? Um, and, like, it, it's not against her. I like, I actually like Clinton. But yeah. uh, it, it's just kind of like that's, like, that's where it is, you know? Um, 
And I think those three just have really distinct, like, transfers to actor, like, acting types. <laughs> yes, Which for is sure. why I use them. Um, but all, of, like, they're all acting. I have the whole Senate, like, monologuing that they do, they're they doing right now right beside me. And it's acting. All the peacocking. Yeah, I, even I, Biden's speech today. I was like, that was a nice monologue. You hit all those <laughs> things like a like well I was coach and acting monologue you yes. know <laughs> yes I, I wanted to circle back a little bit you brought up Joseph Chaikin and I know that um studying him and his works his stuff was a big thing for you in school do you want to talk about that for a minute uh yeah um I'd actually the I'd want to go back to when I first started in hall in high school Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, when I was at Laverne, I was at Laverne longer than four years, kind of in a way. Mm-hmm. I started at Laverne in my junior year of high school. I started like running tech there, mm-hmm. and uh, my oh, senior cool. year, I was like acting in plays with them, and I was kind of talking to uh Steve, who would become my mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of him and like the faculty kind of really helped me actually get into school because I was not the best high school student i'm not mm-hmm. the best student i wasn't the best student when i was not interested in a subject you know right and the last thing you wanted was more school at that point right, right? exactly exactly so um when i was in high school i got my first role my junior year which was a role in uh what where that time which mm. is two Who's beckett shorts samuel oh. beckett all right so my very first role was in Samuel Beckett plays. That's um, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a long story. Both the re- the whole reason it was done is like stupid. I had uh, my my drama teacher in high school is kind of like egotistical in a way, but um, I gotta hand it to was, a high school teacher handing his students Beckett though. That's kind. I mean, I never had an experience okay, like that so, in high school. He only did it because he was arguing with a former student that high school students couldn't understand Beckett. I personally think he was right because I kind of understood a lot of Beckett after I started studying Beckett in high school. Um, But um, he was the type of teacher who, he cast himself as uh, Dogberry as bottom oh, as okay. sir toby that okay. kind of teacher you okay. know got the, it um yeah and apparently i i don't know so i'm not gonna actually repeat this just because i don't know fact um strike that if you can bailey um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah uh no so uh I kind of became very obsessed with beckett after the uh after we did these beckett one acts because mm-hmm. Uh, there's just something about like a kid who doesn't really know he has depression and mm. anxiety and stuff reading these kind of words and really like latching on to them mm-hmm. um, and the human kind of just like the universal humanity of Beckett mm-hmm. is what like helped me as like a kid understand like I was doing uh, book reports on Endgame <laughs> in English nice. my junior year like I was a fuck I was a Beckett nerd uh-huh. Um, uh, so that's kind of, so kind of like my obsession with Beckett though is what drove me to Laverne okay because uh, see I told you it would come around uh, <laughs> no because, yeah uh, Steve who became my mentor later uh, was the he was the director of theater there 
mm-hmm. things that he's no known for doing is both him and he was a like partner with Joe Shaken, and he did text for nothing with Joe Shaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, what text for nothing is is a short uh, story by Beckett mm-hmm. that uh, was that was adapted into a play by Shaken and Steve. They are the only people to ever adapt a Beckett story that is not Beckett. Wow, cool. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of like uh, learning that and like I had my connection to Laverne uh, through the alumni who came to direct us in Beckett and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of just how I started getting involved over there. I met uh, Steve like maybe like a couple months after I did my be- did the Beckett plays. Uh-huh. And, like upon seeing him, I thought he was like a like you ever see have you seen the birdcage? No, I haven't. So <laughs> he he looks like Robin Williams. Okay. Well I've I've seen the front of a, the video. <laughs> yeah. And he's a very gay man. So uh-huh. he's like teaching these like he's teaching like moves to his cast because they're doing they were doing a cabaret. And uh-huh. my very first impression was like right after I saw Birdcage. So he just looked like uh, he just looked like Robin Williams in Birdcage, and that's okay. like my very first like impact of a man. But and uh, hold just for a sec, he he was one of your teachers. Did he teach us? Was he like a directing teacher? Or what did he teach? He, I'm assuming he taught just a ton of different stuff. He taught uh, he taught acting was his main thing, mm-hmm. and uh, theater and community, which was kind of what I do. And then he uh-huh. did like an intro an intro acting class studio, and then a theater community were his main. Sometimes he'd do like directing and like specialty stuff depending uh-huh. on the subject. So like uh, we had like a master's class where, where we like just did deep dive in something. So like oh, if it class. was like, yeah. So if it was like a revolutionary political theater or something like that, cool. he'd take over the master's class. Like Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, he, was a, he was a cool dude because he taught me a lot of like stuff that like you don't get looking at theater. Like because he, he was he, he didn't have he didn't even get his BA you know mm. but he's teaching at like a college which was like oh my god like mm-hmm. you know to do that off just your experience absolutely but he also was like the man who was like you don't need to go to Broadway to make money as an artist huh. you can find real theater an hour away and would point at LA you know he was like that that kind of person he uh, founded Steve. he founded the company theater in LA Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also one of the early like founders of the 99 seat plan back when we had that that's cool that's really yeah cool. yeah one of my last conversations with him was during uh the whole pro 99 era yeah and he just he just passed in the last couple of years right yeah he passed uh i think 2016 r.i.p steve he just sounded like a super cool dude You've he was. always spoken he very, was. very highly of him. And it sounds like he's, yeah. I mean, would you call him your mentor? Yeah, I can I call him a mentor. He's a friend too. And he would mm-hmm. probably call me, like he would call me his friend if you asked him. Like uh, when I was, when I was in school, we had work study and um, we had like a, like he was, he requested me to be his assistant for work mm-hmm. study. Mm-hmm. But he already had an assistant for work study. 
<laughs> but so his assistant for work study did all the assistant work. Uh-huh. And he was like, all right, Travis, uh, pick me up from the train station when I get in and get me coffee. And that was like my whole assistant shift. So it was just like every time I'd pick him up from like the train station or take him back, we'd just be able to have like these just 10 to 20 minute conversations with each other about just like the work, you know? And also like he also wasn't like all just like roses too. Right. Um I I went up to him like my freshman year and was like I I want to do this I want to do theater mm-hmm. and since my freshman year uh it kind of turned into that movie Whiplash for a bit mm-hmm. <laughs> where it was the very like strict like teacher figure and the Boot student camp. who just doesn't yeah and the student who doesn't really understand what's getting taught to him at the time so this is the teacher off it was kind of like that um. I was, as I said, I was a terrible student. But, well, you're not uh, alone. I mean, I was in a pro, I was a super nerd all the time in school. And I went to a program that like, I'm still there, like years and years later, I'm still, things are still dropping in my brain that I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's why they well, taught me that back in 2004. Well, there was this like quote that I'm going to totally butcher from uh, Joe Chaikin's book, Presence of the Actor, where he says, a good teacher will teach a student for three to four years and disappear. And after he disappears, that student is going to learn everything he taught him. Mm, that's so true. Uh, Give them tools for their toolboxes. Exactly. You want to teach man to fish. But if you're like a bad teacher, you're going to be that teacher who's like, you got to take my class this year. You take my class this year. You take my class this year. So, you know, mm-hmm. like we, we, we're in LA. We know people who've been taking the same acting teacher every week i I use uh marilyn monroe for example where she had uh lee strasberg's wife with her on uh set all the time like Mm -hmm. that's unhealthy like it doesn't give room for this artist to bloom and be an artist really and be an intellectual um like for me too as you're saying uh after steve died most of my like real like I feel was like the time my cocoon in art really started to shatter right on oh. um yeah so like and uh like it's been these four years of just kind of like ripping off this cocoon and seeing what my art becomes seeing what your art wings look like <laughs> yeah, Bailey also. talks about his school too that it's like Hogwarts and I know that we kind of likened our school to that too you've got the teachers that all do different things and they're all different people to mm-hmm. the students for sure yeah um, it's an ecosystem and the, right and then the last teacher which I, I wanted to say the best for last is uh he was one of my directing teachers for only two years but uh he was uh his name is Georgie Paro uh-huh. and uh who Georgie Paro is is uh he is like Steven Spielberg of Croatia. Oh. Yeah. So he was the artistic director of the National Theater of Croatia. Wow. For a long time. And he was like, um, he's the type of, he was, the, he was able to go up to the government in Croatia and be like, I want to create this piece on a ship. Mm-hmm. And so basically he created this piece about Christopher Columbus discovering the new world where he did the first act on the ship with got this whole audience on a big old ship to do the first shit. act. Uh-huh. And then they landed on an island and did the second act. And then he murdered and killed all of them. <laughs> it's 
that's Croatia though. Like Croatia is oh, like they theater feel is differently. Their life. Well, it's no, I'm life. no, I'm just I'm I, talking about Christopher Columbus. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I I don't know anything about the play. I just know <laughs> his concept. But like the man was a genius. He like did dumbwaiter at uh, Laverne, where uh, the whole play was done in just a square. So like huh. the flats were just set up, and then there were just holes in the flats. Uh huh. So then you're going to see Dumbwaiter. You have to peer through these holes and oh. just like watch the show. And you can go to another angle and watch the show. That's yeah, fun. right. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So, so I want to get that into was my direct, one of my directing teachers. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. Uh, none of my teachers were like that at Webster. Um. Okay. I want to get into the meat of this. The thing that uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about. Um. I know that you've. I've. I've been with you. I've seen you at a ton of marches with your riot tambourine. And I know you've been, you've been watching all of the madness unfold today. And you've always been one of my best informed friends when it comes to politics or activism. Um, and I know that you're very passionate about mixing your activism with your art. Um, when was it, or was there a particular event that made you so interested in activism itself? uh yeah it was honestly it was steve mm -hmm. um like uh that as i said he was did this class called theater community um and uh he kind of what he did was he was like what pisses you off hmm. you know um so like at the moment for me what pissed me off was my grandpa was homeless due to mm -hmm. some um some issues i don't want to get into mm -hmm. Oh, uh, but uh, so I kind of wanted to like just focus on homelessness. Mm -hmm. uh, so Steve kind of helped me develop this piece on homelessness, which became Forced Conviction, which you saw. It was my first yeah. show I directed out in L.A. also. That was in front of the Circle on, like, Theater the on Santa Monica? Uh, yeah, yeah, where we did it on the street and stuff. I remember seeing that. It was very affecting. Yeah. So that was kind of just like my first like interest in it but also like i feel like at that time and for a long time i always kind of was like a faux activist i guess i never really understood until i got out of my cocoon you know until i got woke um mm -hmm. it, it, it just there was a lot of deprogramming i had to do uh deconditioning stuff like that but also a lot of ego i had to like balance to kind of um get beyond a faux activism you know mm -hmm. yeah so forced conviction kind of like that started it and mm -hmm. i've like from then i was like always we had like a project one time where it was create your own theater company and like I tried to do like the revolution theater but i wanted to do it in west hollywood i remember steve going up to me going that's a cute idea, but that won't do <laughs> shit in West Hollywood. Like straight up. Uh -huh. And I'm like, why? He, and he's like, who's in West Hollywood? You know? Um, and it, it's just like, yeah, it's it's been a journey of just kind of figuring out myself mm -hmm. to be able to do activism. Because I feel if you don't work on yourself to do good, mm -hmm. you're going to be hurting others trying to look like you're doing good. Wow, that's that's a really good way to put it, man. Good. Yes. Um, uh, and, and it's and it's important, uh, cause like, uh, we we got we gotta we we can't be just like 
lashing out angrily, even if we mean good by it. We mm-hmm. we have to figure out we can't uh, we can't be throwing our projection on other people like a lot like we see happening all over the place. But right. it's like activism too isn't just going to marches, is what I learned. You know, uh, doing that kind of stuff, going to march, taking pictures, that's all performative activism, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I am here, you know? Or the fucking, let's tweet Trump this joke that he's not going to give a fuck about, you know? Right. That makes me giggle. The uh, And the real activism, and this is why I do theater, is with that personal activism. So it's me calling you out if you start to get transphobic or start to get misogynist or start to get racist. And discuss this because I have this connection to you. We can come from a place of love and find and and show get you into this understanding a lot mm-hmm. better. Um, uh, and theater does that. It's personal revolution. Right on. Okay. Well, what about a production that you did that you really loved that you thought was super successful? Uh oh, I think uh, Faster is probably the oh one. God. That I, <laughs> I love it. I uh-huh. also regret doing it. Um, for one reason, and I'm going to say it right now, it, it's a play written by a white man with a white man dropping the N bomb pretty much every page. Mm. Uh, Adam Rath wrote the wrote the play, um, and it was one of his first plays, so he's still like an amateur playwright at the time or a young playwright at the time, and uh, so like there, there's some leeway. It was 2000. I, I get those not having rules, but re- looking back at it, like it just, it's not right. You know, I don't, it, in my own personal belief, I don't think as a white passing director and as with a white playwright writing that, like neither of us have the ability to dictate where those words go, especially out of the mouth of another white actor to not like make a point about the word either and right just on. kind of throw it around you know mm-hmm. um but like in general though like what the play was about is so fucking relevant and it was done in 2014 mm-hmm. and i feel this is also the same thing with uh glitch which i did too mm-hmm. which also mm-hmm. had the same problem you've seen all these plays you're discussing <laughs> yeah yeah so which is like i just did it two years too early i did faster which is about a bunch of homeless hoodlums selling a little girl to the devil for money so that they can uh have a better life it's just about desperation and poverty Mm -hmm. and this came out two years before we got trump as a president you know yeah oh my god i Um, didn't even think of the timeline exactly and then 2017 i did a glitch which was about a QAnon uh person shooting up a school and uh i just i felt that one kind of got looked over by a lot of reviewers and stuff who came in and critics and i know i shouldn't be thinking about what they think but it's tough we all do from time to time yeah um but uh i just i i, I was trying to like not focus on guns with it, mm-hmm. is my thing because when when in la I have the assumption that 90% of my audience is going to be pro-gun control, if not right. more. Right. Uh, right. And that's not what it was about. And I really wanted people to understand, like, wh- that Q- this QAnon troll 
whatever on the internet is starting to take hold exactly and that it's uh that these like shootings yes like guns and mental illness and all that have some play in it Mm -hmm. but the overall uh issue with them is these uh is these vile communities that uh I'm going to just say it, losers have nowhere to turn but there. And that's right. how that's how we get these Nazis. That's, that's their why, echo chamber. Exactly. And that's yeah. why when we were just watching people storm the Capitol, I, I, I kept thinking lots of virgins there. That's what I kept fucking thinking, <laughs> was lots of virgins. Um, and that's because... And yeah, and it's because like they just don't have this. They don't have a community. They don't feel right because if they try to hang in our community, they're gonna say something offensive that we're not gonna let slide. Right. And they're not gonna. They're either not gonna show up or maybe they'll change. And if they're not gonna show up, they're gonna go find that Nazi community, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like that's that's just what I really wanted to get across. And uh, yeah, it was back in 2017, which is like right before QAnon started becoming right. a thing. But but all it all it is is like we we are scientists, but our study is life. Our study our study is the mystical of life, you mm. know. Um, and I, I I just I wish I hope that artists and theater makers start to really see this and see the science within what we do, mm-hmm. because I I feel there's also just a lot of. Uh, overlap and uh people who paint over kind of just humanity in general in mm-hmm. the work. especially out here in la where it's very uh commercial like get famous mo- yeah i feel like a lot of the plays i see their problem is not like the content but it's that they're doing it in the wrong medium because they're writing for like tv and film or I'm just doing theater because I actually came out here for TV and film, but I've been told I should do some theater first. Exactly, exactly. And like, it, it comes down to like, you're doing stuff on TV and film, like on stage. Nobody wants to see TV and film done on stage. That is the most boring thing. Truth. You know, yes. and, and personally, like I've become a better theater artist as soon as I decided to admit that theater is dead um <laughs> and i believe theater is dead uh-huh. i sincerely believe it is i believe it's also like a phoenix and can rise and die multiple times because theater right. has been dying and alive since it stopped becoming a religion you mm. know um it's still and, my religion though i might disagree with you on that and it's mine, but mm-hmm. it, it it like just like the more I read, just back even in the day before film was so big, like in Chaikin's books, his theater wasn't like like him and Sam Shepard were doing plays for like twenty, like ten people, you know. And mm-hmm. this is after both of them had names, mm-hmm. like like it, it it's uh it's just. The, but the reason for the death is because it's a death of ideas more mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, because then we're just getting people who are just throwing throwing stuff at the same wall you know mm-hmm. and they're 
and, and uh, it's and it's the uh, it goes back to the whole uh, quote: "Don't go where the puck is, go where the puck is going to be." By Wayne Gretzky. Like we want to, we we as artists need to always be focusing on the next level. The next. All right. All right. I yeah. And I... yeah, and, and that's not to. That's also not to uh, get far ahead of yourself because I feel if you get far ahead of yourself and fill your ego to get yourself far ahead Mm -hmm. that's all ego there but by thinking next level it's kind of thinking seeing trends you know see Mm -hmm. what's happening in in the world today what's happening in theater today what technology is available to you today what's new in acting today and movement and how can you deliver um like yeah, for me, Childish Gambino is the greatest theater artist of this I day. Marry him so hard. Yeah, but he and he's a theater artist though. If you ever see him live, it's a theater show. Mm-hmm. I went to Pharos in 2016, and it was the most performance art I have ever seen. I love that. And show. like, I've met like Rachel Rosenthal. I know a bunch of performance artists you know mm-hmm. i've seen performance artist work a bunch and just th- that's what it was but it was this like combination of not only performance art but like he used the technology to create like projections in this dome to like create the show he used live instruments he used uh apps he used hmm. uh his previous albums he used his ability as a screenwriter in this to he used his interviews to where he'd show up to an interview like me and you, and he'd be playing a character instead of being himself. Right. You know, stuff like that to really, and to kind of create this theatrical experience around a hip hop world to this in the most popular genre of music today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just kind of like the kind of mentality we need to have as just theater artists in general is not to be limited by the, uh, what I call the colonial idea of theater. I want to talk about this amazing company that you started working with a couple years ago. And we talk about it on the pod quite a bit about like theater is not just in New York. It's not just in Chicago. It is alive and well in Los Angeles. It's in Kansas City. It's all over the world in different towns and cities. And this place is based in Atlanta, right? Uh, well, it's its name is like, Roots. It's, Roots is the name of the company. It, yeah, it's adri- its address is in Atlanta, but its name is Roots, which is the uh, regional organization of Theater South. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's more of like an arts collective, but it started out as just a bunch of Southern theaters kind of gathering, mm-hmm. um, like Carpetbag Theater, uh, John O'Neill, his, his Junebug production, stuff like that, kind of just. He, uh, they, they formed to create Roots and it, like, it started just as, like, people going to this campground to create art together, you know? Cool. And, uh, yeah, uh, my, uh, my, my mentor, Steve, uh, he was also one of the people involved either early on or a founder of it. I'm wow. pretty sure he was Okay, cool. I found them a couple of years ago when I had my whole cocoon opening moment mm-hmm. time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Steve died, I was at a. I went to Kern with all our friends. Ah, Kern. And it was that. It was that to night. Float on I the river to... and drink beer for a long weekend. Right. Exactly. What? What better? But it was uh, that <laughs> night. It was that night where 
they wanted to stop everything to do that reading of the first act of Burns. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bur Mr. So Burns, a post-electric play. We we were all on vacation, and since the first act is around a fire, they wanted us to stop our vacation and do a play reading around the fire. I just remember you and I being... <laughs> I, I just was I was just a little a little tipsy, a little high. So I was I like, was you know both what? both of those. <laughs> yeah. A lot. Yeah, so I was, I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm good on this, uh, and also like, I, I, I'm I'm good on this right now. I don't want to really think about theater. I just did serial killers every week for a year, right? You know, um. So I went off on my own, and also like Steve just died, so I haven't really had a chance to like think and like properly mourn. I felt right. So I just like went to the forest and just was like, uh, meditating in like the like where golden's tent usually is <laughs> yes. I, was just, I was just like meditating there on one of the rocks and um kind of thinking of like what to what i wanted to do and i kind of just remembered steve teaching us about roots mm. uh for for our entire time in college she was like this is the place you need to know alternate mm. routes and like pretty much like when we were learning theater because like steve's method of theater was always like games and songs and stuff like that to get you prepped as an actor as opposed to like viewpoints where it's very just like art artsy prep you know right 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 um yeah so uh so a lot of the songs we learned were like root songs so he'd always be talking about that and he was a director for john o'neill on the june bug project so mm -hmm. uh we like were we he'd make us watch like john o'neill's work and would always talk about that mm -hmm. so that kind of just like remained in my mind and kind of just like during my meditation i felt like a pull to take me there mm-hmm um, and then when I got back, I just was like, you know what, I'll see if they have any job opportunities, you know, and they were, they had a spot for just like a dude to run sound during their late night shows. I had, I could run sound for late night shows. So I, I went there doing that, um, for my first year. And then the second year I was able to be part of the like planning committee cool uh for what we do, we have a workshop during so what roots is now is mm -hmm. uh we we meet we have these like gatherings these conferences every august for the first week of august this year we had to do it virtually because of the uh pandemic mm -hmm. but uh we usually all go to Asheville, north carolina mm -hmm. to this church ground yes it's a church ground they're really cool though because like mm -hmm. we've had like performances where like in the kitchen one of the actresses would be like naked and like the staff came in and was like you can't do that in here we're preparing food go into that room <laughs> wow that's a pretty <laughs> chill church right well see this is the reason we know it's chill is because all the jesus's are black jesus Oh, so right. I, I was about to say some, it might be Unitarian. <laughs> my theory is if you go to a church and they got black Jesus all in all the paintings, they cool. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, that is that's that's my own personal philosophy now. But that's also because I usually burn up when I walk into churches. Yes, me too. Uh, I burst um, into flame. Right. So we meet there for like a week though, and during uh, the week long meeting, we also do. Uh, weekend meetings of this that are shorter gatherings and we don't 
I don't believe we do the workshops, but I've never been involved with the weekends, only the mm-hmm. week-long groups we mm-hmm. do. So during the week, though, we have five days of a workshop called Uprooting Oppressions, mm. um, where the goal is to kind of just, uh, we have a, we have what we call uh, pods created based on your uh, discipline. So you're a theater person, you'd most likely be in my pod. I mm-hmm. I ran the theater pods for the last two years. I did like a comedy theater one this year. So mm-hmm. it was like a comedy hybrid one. But uh, so like after this presentation, we'd go, I, I'd be in charge of taking my pod that you're in and uh, create doing something with, with you to kind of decompress what we just talked about. Right. And the and what we talk about could range from just like youth and elders to taking care of yourself was one this year because we were like really focused on like what to do now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then like we all we always give like a strong uh, a, a strong like representation of blackness, uh, LGBTQ, and I- any gender equality that we need. Right. Um, Latinx folks, like, like that's always an emphasis throughout the week, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and sometimes, and usually, there's like we had like a show about it, or we'll have a late night dedicated to it, or sometimes we'll have the PowerPoint about it, mm-hmm. and then we'll have a bunch of workshops in between about these different subjects too. Um, and for me personally, what I do is I I feel story circles are the ultimate uh, way to just kind of figure out your own oppressions, figure out how it relates to other people's oppressions, and kind of just become this unity through one. Um, It's a way to develop art. It's a way to um, make progress and just in a relationship, you know, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. I feel it's it's just a sacred art. And uh, what story circles are also are basically... It's a West African, it comes from a West African tradition of just mm-hmm. like sit, sitting in a circle mm-hmm. and I'll tell a story while everybody listens and has undivided attention on me, uninterrupted attention. When I'm done with my story, which is true and whole, goes to the next person. Mm-hmm. The person could skip, so on, and we keep going. So personally, that's kind of like how I like to run my sessions is just with that to kind of decompress. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I've seen I've just met some cool people who do some cool stuff. I like we do our late night every uh week every day during the week when uh the things set the actual like meeting is in session and we're in person mm-hmm. and like we'd have like last year last time we met in person, uh we one of our hosts was like, you know what I want to do? I want to get a band of people who don't play instruments together. <laughs> so so he was hosting and he went, okay, guys, we got a bunch of instruments behind me because one of our musicians just brought like a full like drum set, bass, stuff like that. Right. He's like, who doesn't play drums but would like to play drums? Oh, you no. get on the drum. You get on the bass. You get on the... So like, it was just watching these people who've never played make music together and then watching the artists who play though get up and help them like know what Figure they're doing mm, yeah all right. and just like it was just beautiful seeing that like when I'm there I uh I take naps in the afternoon because I was working the late night and mm. I was I ran two workshops in my last in-person thing mm-hmm. um so like I'd be going to bed and I just hear like and just a bunch of people just on like the camp the jambes and just a bunch of African drums just 
going ham. Oh, yes. And That's the good shit. Yeah, and it's relaxing. Like, I love a good, like, drumming in my head. Like, I was just hiking to some drums today. Like, um, We should get together and, and have a drum circle when all this crazy bullshit is over. Right? I got my drum. I'll be off beat. And be <laughs> I know. You do have your drum, and I've got my tambourine. We mm-hmm. can do it. Um, Trav, it's time for the, the silly, easy questions. Or maybe they're the worst questions. Uh, what, what is your favorite play of all times? So this is going to be tricky for me. I think it's a three-way tie. Um, I've been trying to like go, you can't do a three-way tie. Give an actual favorite, but I can't choose favorite. They get jealous. Bailey knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, But uh, so my three favorites, and I'll probably be doing like a top three for pretty much everything but the movies. All right. But uh, I am a huge fan of Waiting for Godot just because, like, my whole history is Beckett. I feel that's just like, for me, it's just that play that I put on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, I'm a big fan of Ball, uh, which is by Bertolt Brecht. (laughs) Your other Uh, fave. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I was like, it was... It was originally going to be my senior project when I was in college. I was trying to get that through. Um, so I, I've done a lot of research on the play, but also, like, one of my one of my favorite things with the play is that uh, it's, like, it was uh, Brecht's response to his teacher putting this Nazi poet on a pedestal and going, this guy's so good, this guy's so great. And Brecht's like, nah, he's shit. I'm, I'm going to make this play now. <laughs> and he kind of made it to just kind of like prove a point about uh-huh. like how we, how Which, we put by the these, way, like... everyone, Travis is going to be our special guest for our Brecht miniseries mm-hmm. when that comes Thank up. Thank go you. on, go on. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, he kind of like sees how his teacher put that Nazi on a pedestal and was like, oh, that's messed up. So he wrote a whole play about just this complete asshole Who's played by David Bowie on YouTube in a video of this. (laughs) Uh, And I have the David Bowie album for it. All right. But uh, he, uh, to kind of just show how we like have these assholes that because they make great art, we're okay with them. David Mamet, Neil Abute. Yeah. I just took a Neil Abute earlier today. Exactly. And like, Yeah, but like that's just kind of why why I really like it. I think like the play hits really hard. I'll go more into it when we do that. You go Brecht ham episode. on it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm reading an entire Breck biography right now. I'm gonna give you <laughs> one. I'm gonna give you one new Breck fact I learned right uh-huh. now. Yeah. When he was a kid, Breck tried to bash his brother's head in with a golf club. Yikes right isn't that crazy i'm glad he became a playwright <laughs> instead of a serial killer that's what i'm thinking <laughs> i blame i blame old uh shatter hands <laughs> i still gotta listen to that uh, but uh you said you had three favorite plays yes What's that um, one um my third one is curse of the starving class by sam shepherd uh who is our next episode or miniseries we, yes we, yeah, I just, I uh, I saw a production that Steve directed when I was in my senior year of uh, high school with that play. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was just so beautiful the way he was able to do like 
an abstract kitchen play hmm. you know because mm-hmm. it's written very realistic but if you really like study Shepard a lot of his stuff and you guys probably both know from reading a bunch of this stuff he's uh he it's very still he lives in the same I feel Shepard is like the American version of Beckett almost he's like if Beckett took the next step and was like okay now time to start adding an actual plot into this thus far I feel like Shepard is Tracy Letts's older brother is how I'm feeling about him so far but I'm enjoying the shit out of it for sure oh man yeah like Shepard to me is just like I want to I want to be what Shepard is with punk rock in his writing I want to be with hip-hop in my writing all right all right all right um how about favorite musical favorite musical is between three penny opera and sweeney todd mm-hmm. attend the tale of sweeney todd pod uh, <laughs> that's a good yeah. one uh i still don't know three penny opera at all although i did see a picture of b arthur playing like it it's like 21 year old fucking b arthur from back in the day because brecht wrote for her right he wrote for a lot of folks but yeah I think I think he wrote for her. Did he? I don't know. I'm reading. I'll, I'll know. I will know by the end of this biography. <laughs> yes, please. You need to screenshot <laughs> all of the pages that mention B. Arthur, please. Give, uh, give me one year. I'm going to be a genius. Why? <laughs> uh, you're going to have to steal Scottopedia from Scott. Um, okay. Well, favorite playwright. And I feel like I already know what three playwrights those are. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. See this. This I think was harder than favorite plays because, like, mm-hmm. favorite plays was like these are the three that affected me, mm-hmm. um, and like for playwright, it, it's obviously Beckett, Brecht, and Shepard are all three up there for me. Mm-hmm. But then there's like there's Albie is just like one, and then uh, Adam Rapp mm-hmm. is. Uh, as like a director I'm sure Bailey feels like this I and I feel like as an actor you probably feel like this in role with roles and stuff but there's Uh like like the me and the writer Adam Rapp I feel I have a connection with his work Mm -hmm. in general Mm -hmm. I have directed two of his shows and I feel like some of the best work I've done has been when I've directed his shows. Mm. I don't know any his, of his uh, stuff. Read a Red Light Winter. It's a. It, it might make you go you a bunch of times. All right. Well, I, a couple uh, of our playwrights we've already read have made me go you yeah, a bunch it, of times. It get, so it, it gets it gets a little creepy, but uh, it's a it's a really good play about just like toxic masculinity and friendships. You know I but, love a good play about toxic masculinity. Isn't that like every theater play? Women, am I right? Um, anyway, <laughs> how about um, uh, dream roles? Uh, do you have one roles. or do you um, have three of these as well? Uh, so uh, I have, I do have one dream role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, my, my dream role would also be, I want to direct it. Mm. Uh, but I want to, I want to act and direct Marasad and play the Marquis de Sade. Oh, wow. Yeah. Didn't, yeah, man, Marat Sad. I just have a very 
distinct memory of that from college, my 9am class walking in and our teacher, Heather Schmidt's dad, Larry, who's my mentor, showing us the final scene from Marat Saad. And I, when it was done, he was like, wasn't that great? And I was like, you ruined my day, Larry. You've ruined my day. (laughs) I love it. When I was in, when I was trying to like act a lot more uh, in in school, I was, I worked on Desaad a whole lot. Mm -hmm. He was uh him and uh he him and weston from starving class were like two of my favorite roles i gotta like just work on in our studio classes awesome yeah um, i mean no I, no time like the present right now too Pull yeah and scripts. i just, i also just think it would be really cool though if i uh played the sod and marasad and directed it but kind of directed it as if i was the sod directing <laughs> <laughs> you know I don't know I mean? that you'd want to. I don't know that anyone would want to be cast in that show. <laughs> but but the the play is under the direction of Desaad. That's the thing. Uh-huh. It's like I I just I'm interested to see what the show would look like if like if I did the the full Desaad character research, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then approached all my directing of the show from that point of view. Um, I just think it would be an interesting directing study. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that would be my dream role. But also, as a director, I have my dream plays too, uh, which is uh, my goal is by the end of my life, I want to direct the major uh, Beckett plays. Mm-hmm. So I want to do Waiting for Godot, I want to do Happy Days, I want to do Endgame, and I want to actually act in Crap's Last Tape at the very end. Right on. I want to be in Happy Days. I'm kind of obsessed with that play ever since we read it. Um, Everybody, if you want everything you need to know about Roots, we're going to have all of that information in the show notes. Uh, Trav, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being here. And thanks for telling us your story. And thanks for being one of my ride or dies, dude. I would literally thank you. Thank you you for being mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everyone out there, please, please stay safe. Um, I know it's hard to ignore the domestic terrorism going on in DC at this moment, but there's still a very dangerous virus wreaking havoc out there. Uh, Wear your masks, wash your hands, stay safe and be good and support one another, especially those that really need it. Um, And Trav, talking to Trav today really inspired me about like, keep, keep searching inside you and figuring out how you can be a better person. Um, Trav, thanks again so much. And thank you all for joining us for another Artist Spotlight. We'll be back next week with our first playwright miniseries of 2021, Sam Shepard. Thank you to Ryan Thomas Johnson for our theme song and Annie Baker for writing our script. Can't wait to uh, have an old fashioned or a beer with you sometime, Nanny. Thanks everybody and take care. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. Hey.